0: I was thinking about uh, our institutions in, in America, and I was actually listening to a podcast. They were talking about this. And there's a, there's a real loss of trust in institutions in this country over the last couple years, and probably the last two years going on before that, where we don't trust the things we used to trust. We don't trust um, higher education the way we used to. We don't trust the school systems. We don't trust politicians. I'm not sure we ever trusted them, but we really don't trust them now. Uh, We don't trust science. We have a lot of uh, hesitations and questions around all of that. Um, We don't trust religious leaders uh, in, in ways that we might have trusted them in the past. There's just a real lack of trust in institutions right now, and it's, it's disheartening. It's disheartening when you, when you believe in someone and they let you down. When you believe someone's for the good and they're doing good and they're doing right and you're trying to follow their example or something and they let you down, it can be very disheartening. And we can get very cynical. Man, why did they do this, this, and this? I've looked up to this person and they're a failure as well. And we put someone up on a pedestal only to see them get knocked off. It can be very disheartening to to see leaders fall and we lose a lot of trust. I, I was thinking about this because as I've been reading The the life of Jesus and kind of reading through the Gospels and reading what he did. One thing I noticed there is that people were also very disheartened by him and disappointed in him, even from the very beginning that we're going to look at here in a moment. But it's, it's different with Jesus. They weren't disheartened with him because he was bad. They were disheartened with him because he was very good in a way that they didn't know what to do with or they didn't know how to handle. Let me be clear, when people were hanging out, when, when Jesus lived and walked on the earth, people wanted to be with him. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to be healed by him. They wanted to be taught by him. He was just different. There was something about this guy that you're like, oh, he is built different. And, and people were drawn to him. Even, even though he was challenging, even though he had strong things to say, people loved his compassion and his conviction, they loved his his grace and his truth, like they they were drawn to him until they weren't, like they wanted to be near him, they wanted healings, they wanted the love, they wanted to be part of the experience, the whole Jesus thing, and then they murdered him, because the truth is, you can only push so far, and at some point you will challenge people to grow and change, and they just don't want to do it. And this is true of you, this is true of me. Uh, th- there's a limit. And, and we, we're all in on Jesus when it's all exciting, but then he's going to challenge us with something. We're like, man, I don't want to change. I don't want to even look at that. I don't even want to dr- address that. I would rather be comfortable than change. Uh, I've shared this quote. It's actually a part of a poem from W.H. Uh, Auden. I've shared it before. I think it's so applicable here. Let me read it to you again. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. Let me ask you, doesn't that describe so many people you know? They'd rather live in illusion and delusion than change, than, than adjust, than become something else. You, 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 you know people like that, right? But here's the uncomfortable part. Doesn't that also kind of describe you? And you're like, no, I don't live under illusions and delusions. That's what everybody who lives under illusions and delusions says, right? We all think that. No, not me. It's other people. No, that's, it's real. We would rather be ruined than change. We would rather live under illusions and just kind of keep the game going than actually change and, and become something new because change is super hard. So in this series, we're going to follow Jesus around from now through August and, and look at what he did, primarily uh, the Gospel of Luke from Luke chapter four to eight. And this is just Jesus walking around the Sea of Galilee and the towns and the villages that are there and talking to people and we're gonna see what he taught and what he did and how he interacted and we're gonna learn something from all those interactions with the idea that we want to be with him so we can become like him and do what he did. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. The point is, I want to know who he is so I can be like him and respond to things the way Jesus would have responded to them and live his life, as, live my life as if he were living my life. Like that is the idea here that we're doing on this series called This is the Way. Now, Luke 4, where we start, starts with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus, before he kind of starts his public ministry of, of teaching and, and healing and all that, he goes off to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Spirit leads him there, and he goes there, and he fasts for 40 days. And during that, Satan comes and tempts him and 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 says to him a couple different things. And and they have this whole interaction. I'm not going to go through that, that account, uh, because we went through it in the disinformation campaign series back in February. We did a message on that back then. You can go back and listen to that. But there's this conversation back and forth with Jesus and Satan, and then at the end of that, um, Jesus l- leaves him and uh, starts his ministry and ends up, Jesus ends up going to his hometown of Nazareth. So I want to pick it up there in Ch- Luke chapter 4, and, and really, um, I'm, I want to really encourage you, read this during the week, like dig into the, into the book of Luke as we're doing this series and, and let it kind of go to work on you. Um, We're going to talk about every Sunday here, yeah, but there's really good work to be done if you'll just get into this on your own. So Luke 4, uh, I want to start with verse 14, and and let's talk about what happens here. Um, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. All right, right off the bat, we, we learn that Jesus was led by the Spirit, the same Spirit of God that is alive in us when we are baptized into Christ. The Spirit that is poured into us is alive in Jesus, and it leads you. It leads Jesus to a place It led him to the temptation of the wilderness. It leads him to go teach and preach, and he goes and he, and he follows that Spirit's leading, and um, he, he gets very popular very quickly. The word goes out about him, uh, this, this sort of rock star rabbi, like, li- and people just love his teaching, uh, and they, they love what he's saying. Uh, they're very encouraged by it. He's offering them a lot of hope. Um, and so he's going around doing that, and then we see he goes to his, his hometown of Nazareth. And Luke wants us to know this. This is a key little detail. Luke says, he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up. So he wants us to know this is a hometown visit for Jesus, the home team. Um, So you think, man, this is just going to go great because he grew up there, and you know how it is when someone's from your town. You're like, yeah, Justin Verlander's from Goochland. We love that guy. Like, you know, we have that excitement around a local guy, right? So he does this. He goes to his hometown, and on the Sabbath day, They would gather in the synagogues. There's synagogues in all these towns. You can, if you go there today, and you can go see some of those places, okay? Um, Some of the, uh, there have been churches placed where those synagogues were in some cases, or there's ruins of those synagogues. You can see this. Um, And and as was their habit, uh, their their practice, they would gather on the Sabbath day, on, on a Saturday, and they would study the Scripture together. Uh, and, and, and Jesus goes in is a part of that. He, he joins in on that. Um, verse 17, this is what happens. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here's the quote from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So they would read, they would come together... Kind of like we would do it in church, right? We study the scripture together. So they would come together and they would study the the Torah, the the laws of the old, what we call the Old Testament. They just called it, you know, the 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 laws or whatever. So they'd come together and study that. And so they give him the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. Now Isaiah lived about seven hundred years before Jesus, and Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah, about a savior who would come to save Israel and and to deliver the world. And so uh, Jesus finds that scripture. Starts there and, and, and reads that. Now, these guys who gather in the synagogue every week, they are waiting for the Messiah. They are searching the scriptures. They are looking at the times around them, hoping that a Savior is coming. Because, like us, they look at the world around them and they go, this isn't right. This isn't good. Things need to be better than this. And they're hopeful. And, and their hope is that, G, that God is going to do something. He's going to bring a Savior to the world. Um, it's If I can use a very dated 90s reference, uh, it's the Matrix, y'all. I mean, they're basically like, it's like Morpheus and Trinity looking to find the one, the Savior who's going to come, the Neo, right? They're looking, they're doing that kind of thing. They're like, who's going to be the Savior? And so they're waiting. So re- and so Jesus reads this scripture um, from Isaiah, and and he says, uh, it's a scripture about the Messiah. Now, what does it say that the Messiah or Savior will do? Basically, this. I'll put it back up on the screen. He's going to what are the things? He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to uh, bring liberty to the captive. So other translations will say to the prisoners, set prisoners free. Recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty for the oppressed. Those are feeling the sort of the boot of oppression. They're under the boot of oppression. There will be freedom there. And proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is what Isaiah says the Savior will do. So Jesus runs through that list and explains that. And then and, and after he reads that, um, you know, he kind of pronounces some things to him that really challenge them. Now, you have to understand how they're going to hear it when, when, when he reads that to them. Because what is the pressing issue of their day is that Rome owns them. So they are under the oppression of Rome. So when he reads this list and says, um, you know, the Savior's going to come proclaim good news to the poor, they hear that, but they're probably also thinking, okay, he's going to proclaim good news to the poor and kick out the Romans, right? And he's going to set the captives free. Yeah, captives like us against the Romans, right? And he's going to recovery for the sight of the blind. We're blind because the stupid Romans, right? Like, like over and over, they're going to hear it in that context of this political, like we're trying to be our own country, trying to do our thing, and the Romans are oppressing us because they have a long history of this. They're the slaves that came out of Egypt. They've been a... They've been oppressed, and they've been owned and and ransacked and and all this by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and other groups throughout their 1,000-plus-year history. So they're used to this, and they're dying for a Savior to come along, someone who will set us free. And in their mind, set us free is going to look like Get the oppressor off my back. The the political people who rule over us, who are to, you know, to the Jews, the Romans would be very gross and pagan and just you know they're 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 dirty and they just they don't keep our customs. They're not pure and and that kind of thing. And and so Jesus comes along and he announces these things. And if you really look at the list, what Jesus is actually saying is, the Savior is going to bring hope to people who are on the margins. So. Everybody for whom life kind of sucks, they're going to be lifted up. This isn't hope for the wealthy, because life is pretty good for the wealthy, right? This is hope for the poor. This is for the marginalized, for the hurting. And Jesus comes in and he proclaims this and said, this is what the Savior does. He upends the power structure of the world. And those who are down and out are going to be raised up and in. They're, they're you're going to be allowed to be part of the community. And God is going to do something for them. This is good news he's proclaiming. Good news for the poor and oppressed who are exactly the kind of people who don't usually get good news. And it feels like there's this tension when you read it because he reads it and it says, all the eyes in the synagogue were on him. So he reads that, it says, and then he goes, and you can just imagine like it's a movie, right? He, he says this thing and you could like hear a pin drop, right? And, and he says it and then it says he goes and he sits down and everybody's looking at him. They're like, okay, he's this wonder rock star guy. What's he gonna say about what he just read? And he doesn't say like, Ah, wasn't that interesting, huh? Guys, Isaiah, yeah, he was great, or whatever. Like, he, he sits down and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He basically says, I am what you've been waiting for. I'm fulfilling this. This is Huge. We, we don't get it because of the cultural distance maybe between us and them, but this is huge. He says, man, I, I'm, I am the hope you have been waiting for. And I'm here to bring freedom and recovery and liberation. And this is a very hopeful message. And listen, any preacher knows this and any politician knows this. If you give a hopeful message, people love it. Like, the easiest thing for me to do, the most popular thing I could do week to week up here is just to tell you that God loves you. Because it's true. Like, he, he does. And that he has a heart. Like, if you're hurting, he's in it with you. Like, this is good news. There's hope. And that there's heaven, and that there's a future, and there's paradise, and there's, like, that the bad stuff that we are in now, there, there's a better way forward. Like, if I tell you that kind of stuff week after week, like, you'll love it. I will love it. That is the most hopeful message, and people love that stuff. And and Jesus offers that. He, He gives them hope here and says, man, there's good news coming, and I am fulfilling this. And listen to how they respond to a message of hope. Verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Like, people were blown away by this. He, he, he proclaims this good news, and he says, I'm that guy that you've been waiting for. And they're like, oh, this guy's amazing. And, and even like, man, I mean, we know Joseph. He's here in town. This is his kid. Remember, like, we grew up with him. Do you remember him at, like, the market when he was a little kid? Like, that kid, this is him? Man, one of our own? This is, like, they're just amazed. And then this happens, verse 23. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So Jesus, you know, they're all excited about what he says. And then he's like, okay, well, because he knows kind of what they're thinking and where they're at. And he's like, well, I, I know you've heard me do things in other towns. And now you're probably like, won't you come do this in our town? Won't you start healing people and doing great things here? in Nazareth so he anticipates that they're going to want him to do miracles for them because they're so excited about him and let's just keep it going why don't you go heal everybody in town and then he says this verse 24 and he said truly I say to you no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown but in truth I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came all over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. All right, this is a little bit inside baseball for them. like We're far removed from this culture, but he's referring to some some stories in the Old Testament, some accounts of things that happened in their history. And he's basically saying, look, there's always been problems, there's always been challenges, even in the hometown, even in Israel, there were lepers, there were, there were widows, there were people who were hurting, and God did, has always done stuff where he went to the outsiders, not to the insiders. He didn't just heal all the leprosy in Israel, he went to some other place and healed. He didn't just, you know, it was always the Syrian and the, the woman from Sidon and these different places. And he's pointing out to them, even in their own history, God has had a heart for the outsiders. And, and by bringing this up, he's, he's going to challenge them to change. He just gave them a message of hope, but it's followed by a message of change. Hey, God has always had a heart for the outsiders. You guys should know this, and that's what you need to have also. Because this is a group of people that they were going, effectively, they would have, maybe have a t-shirt that would say, like, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Right? That's kind of the way they were seeing the world. Like, yeah, sure, 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 God loves everybody but us, right? Like, we're the best. And Jesus comes along and he goes, no, it's actually baked into your own history that God has always been for the hurting, the broken, the outsider. And this is a shift in their mindset for them to understand that God loves others just as much. And this is a hard shift for them to make. And honestly, it's a hard shift for us to make. It's easy for us to say, God bless America, and, and to kind of do that thing, go like, man, God loves America. But what about Mexico? Does he love Mexico? Does he have a, is he excited about Mexico? Does he love those people? Yeah. Does God love immigrants? Well, yeah. Does God love people who are marginalized? Yeah. Like, it's not just whatever thing I'm in, whatever, it's not just I'm part of the in group and everyone's the out group. God loves other people, too. He loves Muslims. What? Well, he loves does he love people in al Qaeda like that's wait that's super uncomfortable. Are, are, are we sure? this is always a, a struggle for us where does this, Where does this stop? Does God really love people uh, and, and the people that we think are on the outside are they, are they loved too? This challenges their thinking and he challenges them to change their thinking and their behavior and whenever you get challenged to think differently and behave differently, um, it doesn't go over well, usually. Um, If you give people hope, it's awesome. But if you ask them to change, mm, they might actually try to kill you, which is what happens next. Look at verse 28. When they heard these things, so like two verses before, they're excited, right? This guy's amazing. Verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Man, the, the crowd is so fickle, aren't they? They're all about him one minute with the hope message and then he's like, yeah, this is gonna affect you too and we need to think differently about who's on the outside and they're like, no, let's kill him. And so they, they're filled with wrath and they go out to up the town. And I didn't notice this until I, had, I was reading this through earlier this year to, in preparation for this. But this is actually the second time in the same chapter that Jesus is brought up to a high place and been challenged to throw himself down or, or been threatened that he will be thrown down. Satan did something similar, brought him up to the height of the temple and said, throw yourself down. And now here he is at the top of a cliff and people are trying to kill him and throw him down trying to kill him for saying that God has a heart for the other, that God has a heart for the outsiders. It's, it's incredible. And in one of these scenes, I would just have to see it to really believe it and understand it. They're a, they're, they take him up to this hill. They want to throw him down. And it says, he just walks away. He just walks out. Like, nah, not doing that today, angry mob. And nobody, want, and nobody will lay hands on them. They're like, we're going to kill you. Or you could just walk away. That's fine too. You know, like they have no, there's like no backbone here or something. I, I don't know. I'd love to see that moment and how it went down. So here's, here's what I want to know. Because I think in this entire series, what I want to ask as we read the scripture, what I want to ask is, what does this teach us about God? And then what should we do about that? What does it teach us about who we are and who we should become and what we can be about? And so here's something I think it teaches us about God. Number one, God has a heart for the marginalized, for people on the edges, for, for the out group, for um, uh, one, one author calls it the repugnant cultural other, this group that you don't think you identify with and you don't like. God has a heart for those people too and loves them. This is clear from Scripture. Uh, The lead singer of U2 years ago, Bono, he spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast in the U.S. in 2006, and I've I've heard about it a lot of times since then, of the things he said. It was really good talking, but he said this thing. He actually um, talks about this scripture in his talk at the prayer breakfast. He talks about the very scripture we just read, and then he says this, um, because he's a very wealthy guy, right? Listen to what he said. He said, I mean... God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may, be with, he may well be with us in all manner of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But the one thing we can all agree, all faiths, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and poor. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. And I love that. There's a, there's a call to action there. We're called to be with those who are hurting. It's not enough for us to say, oh, that's, that's bad and that's sad and there's people hurting over there, um, we have to move towards it. God has a heart for the marginalized and he calls us to have that exact same heart. Um, if, if, if discipleship means that we are going to be with Jesus to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, like we talked about last week, if that's what that is, then this is part of it. We need to become like Jesus in this and do what he, he did. Okay, hang with me on this because this might be a little uncomfortable. There are people who have no heart for the marginalized, right? That, and, and that is very possible to do in our culture. You can structure your life in such a way and reach a certain level of income and, and a certain level of, of comfort that you don't have to think about people that are hurting. You have insurance, you have a good school, a good neighborhood. Like, you can insulate yourself from anyone icky and uncomfortable. And, and struggling, and, and hurt. You can insulate yourself to a pretty, pretty good degree in our culture. And there are people that choose to do that, right? And then there are people that are Somewhat insulated from from struggle and hurt and, and people in the margins and that kind of thing, um, but they will sort of give a nod to it and acknowledge that it exists and so there 's like a like a, a hashtag or there 's like a man, we should care about this and i, I 'm going to give to this one thing this one time so that i can that I can care about those people over there that are struggling and so it, we can we can um, insulate ourselves from it completely or we can personally insulate ourselves and then um, make a nod towards those things, um, or make make a move towards helping. In, oftentimes, in ways that doesn't help a whole lot. Um, but I think both of those things sort of miss the heart of God. On this, awareness is good. Hashtags are fine, I suppose, and slogans are fine. Um, but um, if you if you actually ignore the cries. Of the hurting and do nothing about nothing meaningful about it. I think you can still miss God's heart on this. The world is changed when we change and we actually take action. James chapter one, Jesus' brother. Listen to what he says: "But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like." But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, this is one of the reasons why James is such a great book to read. He's very straightforward and says, man, it, don't just hear this stuff. Don't just say you believe. Don't just give mental assent to this thing. Oh, I, I agree with that. That's true. Yes, that's good. But he's like, you've got to do something. You have to take action with with what you know do what the scripture says that makes all the difference um and and i i was thinking about this i mean hearing um and not doing hearing about something and not doing anything is almost worse like it's one thing if you are ignorant of the suffering and, and the and the struggles if, if we don't know you know maybe we'll get to heaven one day and got like god i didn't know that that was going on okay that's understandable but if you do know and you do nothing, then it's not, it's not ignorance anymore that you claim. It's actually like, I just didn't care enough. Like, it, it's just apathy, right? And I think we would all agree, like, even in relationships, if I unintentionally hurt your feelings, okay, I didn't know. If I, if I did know and I hurt them on purpose, that's a whole different thing, right? Like, then I just didn't care about you. And I, and, and I, I think there's that dynamic we need to pay attention to that we need, that we need to hear and actually do. Um, so God has a heart for marginalized, which means this, I think, the second thing. God wants to, to join him in his mission of change. Jesus healed and taught for three years. That's it. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. So I would argue he was pretty effective. There's almost 2 billion people on the globe right now that would claim Christianity. There's people worshiping him everywhere around the world today, Um, and it's it's powerful. His strategy was: I will teach and and build relationship, and pour into uh, a small group of people, and then they will carry it on to others, who will carry it on to others, who will carry it on to others, and that has happened throughout. The the generations, the reason we are here today is because someone came before us and carried the message on to us. Someone thought we were worth talking to and telling about Jesus, and now we're here, and it is our responsibility to pass it on. We need to make it our goal that the next generation also knows about Jesus and knows about the hope and change that he brings. So here's what that looks like, I think, as a church we need to be change agents, especially around areas of injustice. There are lots of them. When you start, um, I I was talking to a guy this week who was asking about our church, and and I was talking about, um, I was like, man, in in some ways there's like a lot of dragons to slay if you want to start listing the the injustices in society and the problems, whether it's uh, around um, some, some issues in healthcare, or if there's some inequalities in education or or, or racism or um, drug addiction or mental health or um, broken marriages or uh, fatherless homes and, and there 's just like you can go down this whole list of things and go man here 's a challenge here 's a challenge this isn 't as it should be this is broken there 's a lot of things that that are that look pretty messed up in our culture, and so we can 't address them all as a community but there are things we can get after. So in December, some of you were here for this, some of you maybe weren't. In December, as a church, we raised money. And we raised money for the entire month and pooled our money together, and we gave it to an organization called RIP Medical Debt, and they were able to purchase like medical debt for people who were drowning in medical debt. And um, by pooling our money in December, they, they sort of has a multiplying effect of how much debt they can purchase. And they used our money to pay off over $9 million of medical debt for Families primarily in West Virginia, and then some text. yeah, it was cool it's cool. it was really cool, um, and that is a way to go, man, this is horrible because people are drowning in this system, um, and the bills are piling up and and then those people got a letter in the mail that says, "Hey, this church that you've never heard of in Richmond Virginia, uh, paid off your medical debt you're, you're good to go uh, That is a way to be about and, and help those who are, are hurting. Um, and it was super cool to see the church come together on that. Um, there's, there's another thing going on right now, uh, refugee care. There are a couple organizations in Richmond that help refugees who are coming from other countries come get settled in this area, but they need a lot of help and they need volunteers and they need people to come around them. So um, I've been at a couple of meetings over the last few months of, of churches that are doing it. So churches are coming together and they're forming teams and they're coming around families that have been coming primarily from Afghanistan and I think Ukraine is about, is, is happening as well. But families moving across the world to come live in Richmond, Virginia from Afghanistan. Imagine the culture shock that that is and then having groups of people who will come around them in a church to say, hey, we'll help you get you know, housing and help you get to your doctor's appointments and help you get the things that they need to get settled in this country. Look, a lot of people know that the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan and a lot of problems came after that happened, right? Like that we're aware, we saw that on the news, we saw the helicopters, you saw the planes, you, 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 we saw all of that happen months ago. A lot of people are aware of that. It's just that there's not a lot of people that are then going to do something about it afterwards. Like it's difficult, where do I start? How could I get involved? There are a couple organizations here in town that are working on it. And primarily there are churches that are coming around those organizations to do the work, And this is an incredible thing. Look, people criticize the church all the time. It's one more institution that you can't trust. I get it. I understand all the criticisms. I understand why people do it. And people are like, ah, the church just cares about blah, 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 and this and this. this." Look, I go to these meetings, and it's a room full of churches who are doing this work. And they're partnering with, they're not partnering necessarily with religious organizations. IRC, one of the biggest uh, a- Afghan resettlement organizations in town, it's not a religious organization. It's just that all their volunteers are from churches. And, and, and there are Christians coming around. And I sit in that room humbled at what these men and women are doing and and so blown away and so glad we get to be part of a little corner of that world and, and get to help. And so we're starting to form a group here within the church who are going to come around some families and help them get settled in the Richmond area. This is good work. This is putting hands and feet to what we say our head and our heart are about. This is a good, good thing. And I, and I love that it's happening here in Richmond because I see the church engaging in, in a way that, that the mainstream culture isn't necessarily engaging. Um, let me give you an example, one more, and, and this is one you could you could be involved in. Um, we're all familiar with the term orphan. We don't use that in this country, really. Uh, we think orphan is someone overseas, but in this country, we use something more like foster care, the foster care system, we talk about that. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, kids in the foster care system are basically invisible to us. That's not, we don't really see that, that's not people we run with that's we have kids and maybe in their school they've got classmates but they all have parents at home or something like we don't see that system but it is there there are five thousand plus kids in the foster care system in virginia and so there's a tremendous need there for families to come around kids that they did not give birth to and and, and to say hey we will raise you we will help you we will love you support you um in in a uh Temporarily until you can be re- reunited with your parents or full-time adopt if that's the, if that's the route that it goes. Um, and there's incredible work being done by that, and there's a lot more uh, to be done. And there are churches and, and, and Christians who are, who are very involved there and really um, seeing the need in foster care and adoption and taking action and, and doing something about it. Now, this does not mean that everybody in a church is going to adopt a child or, or become a certified foster parent or whatever. But everybody can get involved in this in some way and can help and, and, and come around the people that are doing that and offer support. Let me give you an an easy way to jump in on this um, that's coming up here in the next two weeks. On Saturday, um, May 13th, I think, uh, Saturday, May is it thir- 14th, what is, what is the Saturday, I get myself, what is today, the first, 8:50. okay, 14th, yeah, Saturday morning 14th, um, there's a, there's an event for foster families in the city of Richmond, and they're coming together, at, I think it's now called Park 365, It was called Arc Park, uh, they're coming together there, and it's going to be like a foster family appreciation night, and so we're going to be part of that, we're going to do this again um, on our own property, we're going to do something similar um, in November, but, This thing in May is happening, there's churches are coming together, and the idea is to love and bless families that are in foster care. And so they need some things, and this is where you can jump in and help. Here's a couple things needed. They want to give gift packs to every family that shows up, and they want to do it like a family movie night. So what they want are $10 Redbox gift cards. You know Redbox is a thing? It's, It's a thing still. Um. They want to do, it's like saying Blockbuster. They're giving Blockbuster cards. They want to do $10 red box gift cards um, because they're spread out and people can get it anywhere. And $50 pizza gift cards. And they want the gift cards for pizza places that are more chains so that people get it. Not like, you know, Mary Angela's right here where you'd have to go right here. So they want chains. And they're asking for, and so what we're going to try to do as a church is to gather 40 of these, 40 red box gift cards and 40 $50 pizza gift cards. And we're asking, hey, can you, can you grab one of those and give those because we're going to give them out to these foster families um, in about two weeks. If you can do that, um, you can sign up on the Area 10 app. If you go into our app, there's a, it says help, help with foster families. You'll see a, a, on the registration, on the register uh, link rams, and there's a, a form there you can fill out and say what you're gonna bring. Get that, bring it back to us next Sunday or bring it by the church office um, here at 2810 anytime between now and May 13th, that Friday. And we will give those gifts out on that Saturday. So that is one way to help is you can just you can do that. A second way to help is the event itself. We, we need a couple volunteers from our church who are willing to go over and be part of a, a team of volunteers that are going to work with these families and love them and, 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 and work with them. So that's a gift of your time. And it's on that Saturday from like 4 to 7. So it's three hours. So you can sign up for that also um, through the app or go to our website and, and sign up. These are... These do not solve all the problems of the world, but these are ways to to jump in and and get involved. This is an attempt for us to add hands and feet to where we say our head and our hearts are on this. The way of Jesus is to find the marginalized, and we want to be about about that, and we want to help where we can. We are not going to solve every issue, um, and churches can't do that. No one church could. Um, and our focus is going to be as a church, we're here to help people connect to God, find their people, and change the world, and this is part of that change the world uh, thing. Um, this is, we, we want to be about Jesus and, and what he is about. He did not come to earth to make nice people nicer. He came for the hurting to help them. He came for the oppressed to set them free. He came to liberate people, um, for the sick to be made well, and we want to be about that, I don't know where you're at with all of this. Um, I read a lot of stuff that's very critical of institutions, and particularly being a guy who works in a church, I've read a lot of stuff that's very critical of the church. Um, and I've had, and I've had things. I've, I've had people be. I've heard people be critical of the church. I've heard people be critical of this church, um, and I understand that we are not going to do this right every time, and we're not going to get it perfect, um, and we will drop the ball, and there will be times we aspirationally want to step up to something and don't really deliver, Um, and so I get if you today are feeling a low level of trust in institutions and particularly in the church, but what I hope you will see is that at the end of the day, we're about Jesus, and I want you to trust him. He's where it's at. Trust Him, know Him, follow Him, obey Him, love Him. We're a church, we're gonna try to do that together and perfectly, but we're about Him. Don't, Don't give up on Him, because I think He brings real hope and He challenges us to make real change. And if we will change and follow Him bit by bit, day by day, a little bit at a time, over time, we will become something. We will become uh, who he's calling us to be. Let's pray. God, I pray we are the kind of people who can follow you with our whole lives for our whole lives. Um, God, hearing how Jesus interacted in his hometown, um, there's some challenge in there. There's some challenge for us to step up and have a heart for the outsiders. God, that's going to mean different things to different groups of people in this room, but I, I pray we will consider it and, and obey, not just consider it say that's interesting and walk away, but that we will be changed. God, help us to drop our illusions and our delusions that keep us um, stuck, that keep us feeling safe, but not, uh, but not really growing. Uh, I pray you help us in, in that. Lord, you are good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for smiling upon us, that, that your joy is f- that on us, that you are for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.